Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are coming at you with episode 97. We are getting dangerously close to 100 of these episodes, which is just crazy to think about. And uh, we have been talking about having some some fun for episode 100. Maybe we'll talk about that a little later on. Anyways, uh, we are recording Sunday, October 18th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time. Uh, we can record whenever today because it's the Seahawks bye week. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me as always, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Todd, okay, so last week I talked to you about how excited you were for a new Band of Brothers sequel, not knowing that even bigger news would come this week with a, a Dexter revival. How excited are you for this thing? Oh, I thought you were going with the uh, the Die Hard, uh, <laughs> new Die Hard movie that they just... Well, there's, there's <laughs> a, uh, yeah, apparently there's that too. <laughs> um, yeah, the, oh, I, yeah, I'm totally in for more Dexter. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the people who actually liked the ending, but I mean, uh, they could, they could easily improve on it, and a, uh, a miniseries is the right way to go, like, the, you could, you could uh, expand the universe even, and make it Breaking Bad-ish in that way, like, I, I, I love it, I, I can't wait for next fall. <laughs> Yeah, like it or hate it, the ending of Dexter was a what-the-hell moment. And so uh, it, expanding on it and seeing what happened next is is pretty awesome. Zach, are you actually going to watch Dexter now that you know it's coming back? Hey, you know, I've watched the first two episodes of it. I mean, I was totally invested in those two episodes. And uh, it's been, I think, two years since I watched it. Um, so the answer is no. You could average one episode per year. And just you watch another one. That's true. <laughs> I like. On a side note, I like your shirt today, Terry. It's a nice relief from your Seahawks uniforms. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a. It, it was the bye week, so I I threw on Apollo thirteen instead. Failure is not an option. All right, uh, Zach. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking the the rare um, white wine appearance. I, I this might be a first for the podcast, but uh, it is a Riesling. Because I do like Riesling. Do you like Riesling? Riesling? Rieslings? Riesling? Yeah, it's it's um it's quaffable but far from transcendent. I, I it's it sounded like you were just gonna stop with I'm drinking the rare it, it's called it's called white wine. I mean, that's almost what it sounded like you were going for there. <laughs> well listen, term. there's a story behind this, which is that the only reason I ever have white wine in the house is because my wife cooks with it. And there happened to be some leftover white wine. So I had to do something about that, right? It can't just go to waste. You 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 just must, must like the uh the skins, right? Isn't that how it goes? That's why you drink red wine. Uh don't ask that question in wine country. Yeah. They'll think you're some kind of dumb shit. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't like the way uh, they manipulate Chardonnay in California. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, it looks like white wine, but it's actually vodka and white cranberry peach juice. And, yeah, <laughs> it's going to go down well. Nice. Nice. Uh, see, see, we're, we're having all these wine talks, and we need to save them for episode 100. Um, okay, so I that have... Was a, uh, that I was a to... hint? Jeez, man. That was Sorry. like a spoiler. <laughs> You can cut it out. Just cut it out. No, I, we're I, not we'll, cutting we'll it just... out. 
we're of course talking about you know Hannibal Lecter's Chianti wines because we're gonna oh, do there we go. Red Dragon for our deep dive, right? Um, spoiler. Wait, spoiler. No, we're gonna do that movie with Alan Rickman. Bottle Shock. Oh yeah, that movie was terrible. Oh. I, I hate that you hate that movie. Okay, so I went to Ridgewalker. Uh, nothing says uh, says you know fall quite like having something pumpkin flavored, and I I, I kind of hate a lot of it. But um, Ridgewalker just started a new pumpkin ale, and I had to try it. So this is their Maxwell Mash Pit pumpkin ale. So uh, it it it's got a hint of pumpkin. It's not too too much and uh, fairly smooth still. So I'm I'm liking it so far. That is a fast... Is that a mason jar? It is. Wow. It looks like a lava lamp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as always, thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review all over the internet where we're at. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Pandora. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Uh, all those good things. Okay, uh, let's see here. I'm gonna go to Todd first. What have you been watching? Uh, so I watched Nicolas Cage movie, of course. Uh, continuing my of series. Of course. And uh, I watched the 2018 Maria Pulera movie called Between Worlds. And Nicolas Cage plays this guy named Joe. And his wife and daughter died recently, I guess. And uh, he meets a, a woman named Julie, played by Franca Patente. And she can, like, tap into the souls of people who are dead and dying and, like, guide their soul back into their body to make them live again. And she does this through being strangled, which I find odd, but um, when she actually needs to help her own daughter who's dying, uh, the soul of Nicolas Cage's character's dead wife takes over the body of the daughter and, like, complicates everything. It's a really stupid premise, but Nicolas Cage is so weird and takes himself seriously that we kind of buy into it, uh, even even though it's completely loony. The movie is, like, Lynchian in a way. It's got, like, melodramatic stuff, and it's also kind of spooky and with, like, gothic roots, but it's also, like, extremely erotic at the same time. It makes it really playful, and it gets nuts, but it never really lets up. I, I mean, it could have been tongue-in-cheek, because it really is batshit crazy. But it isn't. I mean, it, it, it isn't tongue-in-cheek. It actually takes itself really seriously, and you could just sit back and enjoy it. And Nicolas Cage is playing another Southerner named Joe. I think it's, like, the fourth time he's done that. And he, he's doing, like, his best, like, Cameron Crowe, or Cameron, Cameron Poe uh, uh, um, voice. And uh, but he's Very also playing, different than Cameron Crowe. Yes, somewhat. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's also playing a drunk, which is fun to see again. And uh, there's a little caster Troy in there as well. The twists are crazy. It's like Joe meets Drive Angry, and I say screw it, and I'm giving it three stars. That's always a great attitude to have. Screw it, I'm giving it three stars. Yes. Well done, Todd. I, I also watched um, a movie in the theater because uh, they just recently opened up 25% capacity in all theaters around here. It was this movie called The Kid Detective, and it's got it's starring Adam Brody, and he was playing like this former like, famous kid detective who's now, like, a 30-year-old drunk who gets his first real detective job in a murder uh, investigation. And a movie called The Kid Detective sounds really dumb, but it's not an Enola Holmes shit. Like, this is, like, Under the Silver Lake or, like, a really dark, uh, like, expanded episode of Veronica Mars or something like that or, or Brick. Or, I mean, it's, it's an interesting movie. It's really, it's really funny in a dark way, and uh, 
it, it, it kept me guessing the whole time. I, I give it three stars. I just want to say, go to the theater. Just go to the theater. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I can't. There are none. None. Drive, drive. 30 minutes to Washington and go and go to go to a movie. It, it, it it's longer than 30 minutes. <laughs> okay. Uh all right. Oh, I I wanted to ask. So where does this movie fall on the on the Nick Cage spectrum? Uh I mean, it's a three-star movie, so I mean that that there's a whole bunch of them. Like I said, it's like Joe meets Drive Angry. I would put I guess I could put it in between those two. Like Joe's a three-star movie, Drive Angry's like a high trashy two and a half star movie, so yeah. That I I just put it right squarely right in there. Okay. Alright. So what's the over under for Todd giving up on this? I mean, I, I'm impressed that he's gone this long. Oh, this like, is my favorite part of the podcast. I mean, this could go forever. <laughs> Like, this I is have a... this, I mean, look at this sheet. Like, I have it marked down, like, where I could watch the movie and all the ones I haven't seen. Wow. I, I've got it myself planned out until, like, February. <laughs> that, that's kind of like my anniversary watches. I've got the same thing. I've got, except mine's not paper because I was, you know, I actually live in the 21st century. So I have a, I have a spreadsheet online that I, that I update and where I can find everything and and all, all this stuff too. I've already started working on my list for next year's anniversary uh, watches too. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't always want to have to go on my computer to see what let's see what I I had. I just yeah, wanted it that's, to be listed next to me. But I mean, I guess I, I could use, just put it in in the drive or whatever. But yeah, that's why I use Google Docs because then I can access it anywhere, dude. All right. Anyways, I just, I just want to add one more thing. So whenever I look up, whenever Todd's reviewing these movies, I always look them up on IMDb, and I love admiring the poster art. This one looks like it was done by a 13-year-old um, who just discovered Photoshop, and they added a flame like clip art onto a, a, a still from Nicolas Cage in like Con Air or something. I mean, it, yes. it, it, it it's pretty awesome. That's a from, really good call. <laughs> uh all right zach you're next what'd you watch this week okay i i went down to, uh it, it is october and so uh i decided to go down the bloom house uh scary route and i watched um a new film on amazon prime called nocturne and it stars uh this generation's new amanda seyfried sydney sweeney uh, Todd and I are both big fans of her, and uh, she plays Juliet, who is an aspiring pianist, and she has a twin sister, Vivian, played by Madison Iceman. And um, obviously, you know, anytime you're going to have twins in a movie, they have to be butting heads, right? And so, of course, the, the Vivian is beloved and popular and has a boyfriend, and she's going off to Juilliard. Uh, whereas Juliet, on the other hand, is um, more of the kind of ugly duckling sister. The movie tries really hard to make her ugly. Um, and I, I guess they succeed. I guess it's admirable. Uh, but, uh, so the movie's about how Juliet's, um, jealousy toward her sister starts enveloping her and she discovers the diary of this other music student who had committed suicide. And the movie is very much like if Ari Aster had directed Whiplash. I mean, there's definitely like some, you know, the, the whole kind of demonic thing that's going on. It feels very Stephen King, feels like the director may have watched, uh, De Brian De Palma movies and Carrie a couple times as well. So the movie has, it's, it's very derivative. Um, how 
However, as far as Bloomhouse movies mostly go, though, um, I think this one is mostly effective. Uh, I think it has some pretty good performances by, by the characters, and it never really got boring, and it certainly wasn't overlong. It's only 90 minutes. And so if you're feeling like, you know, a, uh, a kind of schlocky, almost grindhouse-level um, Bloomhouse movie that actually isn't that bad in terms of its aesthetic and in terms of its uh, uh, production values, um, I would recommend it. I give it a two, two and a half stars. It's not, the, it's not earth-shatteringly original, but um, I do think Sydney Sweeney is, is really talented. Um, I haven't watched Euphoria. I don't know why yet, but um, I've heard great things about her on that show, and uh, I think it's a, it's a pretty solid contribution from Bloomhouse. I, I wonder what um, Adam thinks of it. That's the real question. I, I would think he'll, he would like it. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to ask him. Okay. So, uh, my anniversary watch for this week is going back 10 years. Uh, it was nominated for one Oscar for Best Documentary. That is Restrepo. Um, the uh, documentary about a platoon of soldiers in Afghanistan, in uh, the deadliest valley in Afghanistan, and it follows them around for one year. Uh, this movie is just insane in the fact that they had these these filmmakers just following them around, actually in combat, in battle with them, just filming everything. Um, it 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 takes you inside what like modern warfare actually looks like more than like anything I've ever seen before, and um, and uh, and that in itself makes it incredibly compelling you really get to know some of these soldiers through the process too um and i think also it adds some uh some weight to this movie knowing that just a year after it was nominated for this this oscar one of the filmmakers was actually killed in combat doing the exact same thing with another troop tim hetherington so uh, i think that definitely adds some weight to just what these filmmakers are willing to go through to document you know the the stories that are going on around the around the world. So, uh, I was I was really impressed, really engaged by it. Three and a half stars, uh, amazing documentary. Um, that yeah, that re- really just shows what what warfare was like for uh, for these guys. Now, I know you guys have seen this, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love it. It's in my top ten of of, of twenty ten. Yeah, it's a really it's a really powerful documentary. Um, I haven't seen it in a while, but um, I remember the guy is very charismatic, and it's just a super like tragic story. And like you mentioned, Terry, also the the backstory, of the filmmaker as well. But got a lot of notoriety when it came out. Yeah, it definitely did. And and yeah, it's named Restrepo. That's for one of the one of the soldiers that died very very early on in their campaign, and then they ended up naming an outpost after him. And so. Uh, that's where the title comes from. So that's one thing I'm, I'm uh, talking about. And then the other thing I'm reporting on uh, a little bit is uh, the new Disney Plus series. Zach, you and I talked about this at one point. I don't know if you've gotten to watch any of it yet. The Right Stuff is now a Disney Plus miniseries um, or TV series. I don't know if they're going to have more than one season. Uh, anyways, there are three episodes that are out. The third episode came out on Friday. I haven't gotten a chance to watch that yet, but I've watched the first two. Uh, and... It, it's pretty good. Um, it, it's, uh, I don't know, it takes a little bit of time to get into anything, and I some of the, the space stuff I, I have a fairly high bar set, but it's based on the same novel that the, uh, that the 80s film was based on, uh, talking about the Mercury 7 astronauts. 
And uh, one of the things that's really interesting is that one of the main focuses so far is the rivalry between Alan Shepard and John Glenn. And how they were very, very polar opposite people, yet they became kind of the faces of the Mercury program as Alan Shepard became the first. But John Glenn was the most popular. And uh, and so that, that's been interesting to watch. Um, and it, it really, since it is kind of a long form, it has a lot of time to dig into the, the personal lives of these astronauts and really really look at what kind of people they were and and really the phenomenon that uh, that astronauts were during uh, during the 60s most of the people in this are pretty uh, unrecognizable like I there are very few faces that that you'll recognize maybe it's there'll be a couple guys will be like oh yeah I, that guy looks familiar but I don't know from what uh, the one face that I really recognized was uh, Patrick Fischler who uh, plays in this, let's see here, he plays Bob Gilruth, who's one of the starters of NASA. Uh, the main thing I know him from is he is the guy who uh, who has the shocking scare behind the diner in Mulholland Drive. Um, like, that's that's the one thing I know him from. And, and he like he's the guy that passes out when he go, gets around the corner and freaks out in Mulholland Drive, and now he's starting NASA. But uh, other than that, like none of the faces you'll recognize, which is kind of cool that they're all kind of the, these new faces and you don't have to carry the baggage with them of, uh, of knowing who they were. Anyways, I'm excited to see where it goes, uh, to see how it uh, continues to tell the story. Um, definitely worth a watch if, you are, uh, if you're a space fan. Have you watched any of it yet, Zach? I have not. But uh, I'm a big fan of the movie, and I kind of forgot that it was coming out, but... Uh... It sounds very intriguing. Yeah, well, we, we may need to, to watch it and like do some updates on it each week as uh, as the new episodes come out. I think it's like eight episode season, and they're releasing one episode like every Friday. So, so yeah, cool. All right, well, let's move on from that into our featured review. Uh, we have uh, our our one movie we're going to talk about all together, and then it's going to be hopping into our deep dive which we're really excited about uh, what we're going to be looking at today. But first, let's talk about uh, our featured review, and that is the new Netflix movie. It seems like that's all we're, uh, we're reviewing right now, but honestly, that's all that is coming out. Uh, but this is a big one, right? This, this, is, this is a major, major Netflix release, as it is a major Oscar contender, it sounds like, uh, and that is The Trial of the Chicago 7. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. My trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Zach, I'm going to go to you first. Tell us about the trial of Chicago 7 and what you thought. Okay, so The Trial of the uh, Chicago 7 is a, a story that has been told in um, various formats before. Haskell Wexler explored it as early as 1969, but it has been done um, a few different times. Um, this is the Aaron Sorkin written and directed version um, that stars Eddie Redmayne as Tom Hayden and Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman. 
And uh, for those of you not familiar with, with the, sh the case of the Chicago 7 or Chicago 8, um, these were basically a, uh, a bunch of anti-war protesters who came from very different backgrounds and um, converged on the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, in which there were a lot of protests, uh, many of them turned pretty ugly and violent. And um, with the election of Richard Nixon um, in the fall that year, um, Nixon appointed uh, a prosecutor, a prosecutor to try, basically any um, you know anti-war protesters who were at the scene um, in that summer. Um, so it's sort of a motley crew of people, and I think Sorkin does a good job of kind of showing how <clears throat> these protesters don't all fall in the same camps. On the one hand, you have a Tom Hayden who's you know kind of clean cut, uh, someone who's very concerned about elections and the actual um, democratic process of um, you know getting uh, corrupt people out of office. You have Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, um, played in the movie by Jeremy Strong, who are both, um, you could kind of say, almost comic um, anarchists, sort of in the George Carlin variety. If you know Abby Hoffman, you know Steal This Book, Steal This Movie, kind of a legendary counterculture figure of the 60s. And then you have John Carroll Lynch as um, literally the Boy Scout leader, uh, David Dellinger. Um, the movie takes place um, in the courtroom, but as is typical of Aaron Sorkin's screenplays, that's just sort of a framing device for a lot of flashbacks. Um, and uh, the uh, story in the movie is that um, I think what, what Sorkin is trying to show is that this, this trial was um, a, a madcap trial, and it was interfered with quite frequently um, through the judge, Judge Hoffman, played by Frank Langella. And um, as a result, uh, these defendants really didn't get their, their day in court. Um, although, quite honestly, it's probably a trial that never should have happened in the first place because it was the result of the Nixon administration trying to uh, put pressure um, on um, anti-war activists and making kind of Nixon's own sort of personal vendettas known, even though Nixon, Nixon never actually shows up in the movie. Uh, it's an interesting movie, totally a Sorkin movie, very much in the kind of American president, West Wing mode of big speeches, very much uh, based on the idea that um, if you're going to make a big speech in the movie, that people will listen and you'll form a consensus, and that's what overcomes all the adversity in our society. And it's kind of interesting that this movie comes out on the heels of the George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter protests across the country, which are very much about action instead of just um, talk or rhetoric. So um, there's been some, I think, a little bit of misreading about, about this movie. Um, I have some issues with the movie. I really didn't like how so much of the focus of the movie was on the Franklin Hella character as this judge who just is interfering. Uh, he interferes with the trial a lot. He's basically this kind of outlandish character. Uh, he's almost a caricature. I get that he, he was a real character and that this stuff did happen, but I wish the movie had focused less on that and more on the more substantive issues of, of the anti-war protests. I also didn't like the way that the movie handled the Bobby Seale character, uh, played in the movie by Yahya Abdul-Mateen, who I think is almost a shoe in for Best Supporting Actor nomination. Um, he kind of comes off as uh, this sort of character who's there, but really just to kind of serve the purpose of representing um, the uh, Black Panthers. And there's not, it, it's not a very sincere or authentic look at, at the Black Panther movement um, in the way that I feel like Bobby Seale, being such a significant figure in the history of uh, anti-war protests and, and the 1960s, really merits. And then I thought the ending was a total cop-out, very Frank Capra-esque and just 
cheesy, over the top. However, I am going to give the movie thumbs up because it did make me um, think and reflect on the actions of the Chicago 7. And I would really recommend that you read Alyssa Wilkinson's review. I thought her review of this movie was so good that I even posted it on my social media. And she kind of talks about how we're in such bleak times right now. And, and even though the movie may have its flaws, um, it does kind of remind you that uh, we're in a continuum. And this continuum um, uses, you know, language like, um, you know, what, what, what do what, what do protests really mean? What is police brutality? What, what, what does that mean for our society? And, um, what, what is, when is government, uh, overreach in terms of its prosecute, prosecutorial powers? And, uh, those are questions that were asked in 1968. They're still going on today, um, ongoing. So, um, as a, as a means to kind of reflect on an important historical incident, um, I would give this movie thumbs up. I would not call it one of Aaron Sorkin's best movies. Um, it's, it's flawed, but it is interesting to watch and I give it three stars. All right. Uh, Zach gives it three stars. Uh, Todd, I'll go to you next. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm sort of the ideal audience for the movie because I'm not like 100% on the history or the, of the protests or the case or whatever. So I don't know if how much, you know, my impression is going to be manipulated by the political agenda of the filmmaker. So I guess I'm, I would be the perfect audience for it. But even if you are, I don't think it really matters because Aaron Sorkin is a genius and he will tell you that. And um, but it's even if you know what's going on, you know that he's loose with the facts. Like I'm mean, in Moneyball and Social Network, he did the same thing, and it doesn't matter because it's just so damn entertaining. Uh, I think the court scenes in this movie are really outrageous. Like, but that's sort of Sorkin's calling card. Like uh, the characters are just like unlawfully just like outbursts and uh, and stuff. Like that would never fly in any court. And it, I mean, it was a big sham. Which is mildly annoying at best, but I, it's just, I don't know, I, I just gave the uh, floor for the actors to overact, I, I guess. But, I mean, he found ways to not make it all just basic trial stuff, but most of it does just, unfortunately, just take place in the court. And Sorkin, I, I feel like, also is really simplistic in how he handles the, the story. Like, he doesn't talk over the audience at all, like, he really explains things fully, or he just doesn't have a whole lot to say in a lot of scenes which isn't normal for him, which made the movie sort of drag on a little bit more. Uh, I, I don't know why we can't just, like, watch what happened in the protest rather than getting this, like, tainted history lesson via Sorkin. Like, I mean, he makes it obvious that this is his telling of it, and it can't be taken entirely seriously when he has the events relayed by, you know, a stone stand-up comedian, even though it's a reductive term, apparently. Uh, sometimes you got to get out of the courtroom and to make the audience see things they don't want to see. But this is an issue with Sorkin as a director. Like if he had worked with one of his collaborators, like Bennett Miller, I think it would have been awesome. Or like a dream director would be like Catherine Bigelow or George Clooney, someone who can handle political material without being preachy, but we're spoon fed at every turn. And, and we're going to think exactly what Sorkin wants us to think. But I mean, that's the, that's the uh, advantage of having an auteur, I guess. Uh, but I could listen to his uh, dialogue all day, and the cast is interesting. Like, Rylance steals basically every scene in the court. I think Eddie Redmayne and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are kind of awful. Like, they're really wooden, and they're, like, like just space fillers and really pivotal roles. And I, I was really confused at the casting of those roles, too. Sasha Baron Cohen and Jeremy Strong, I think, are distracting, uh, but they're fun to watch, I guess. Yahya Abdul-Mateen, I, I feel like, was my favorite character, just because he's, like, the audience sitting. He's just sitting there the whole time with that look on his face, like, why am I still here? Like, these people are insufferable. Get me out of here. And that's kind of the way I felt every time I was watching the court scenes. Uh, and, and, of course, in Sorkin's world, it all comes down to a misplaced pronoun that could have changed history, and he hammers that point down. It's just, like, so, I mean, come on, Sorkin, what are you doing? I mean, it, I really like the scene overall, but, like, the idea of it was just distracting and 
again, probably an issue with him as a director. But the story is obviously a really important piece of history, but and this will be the mainstream curriculum for the story because no motion picture has really had this much detail about this exact thing and uh, and with uh, have this much talent involved in this high profile. But I would argue the movie is not as important as it thinks it is. It's a rousing movie. It'll it's, it'll excite you and it'll anger you, but it also creates more questions than Aaron Sorkin actually has answers for. And he's going to lead you exactly where he wants you to. The final scene, I, it's hard to really justify. It's like borderline counterproductive to his goal in the whole movie, too. And I feel bad, but this is my first Sorkin thumbs down. I'm giving it... It's a two, two and a half star movie. I I'll guess I'll go two and a half stars because I, I, I do love listening to his dialogue. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I'm giving this movie four stars. I loved it. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was, uh, these are the types of stories that Sorkin is best at telling. Um, uh, and he's best at taking what can be complex issues and making them feel simple and approachable. Um, which I guess is why, uh, he does such a great job in, um, in courtroom settings like he did in A Few Good Men. Um, I agree that it, it probably could have been, uh, looked a little different if he, if, uh, he wasn't also directing. I think it, it's helpful to have somebody else at the helm. Um, especially, I mean, Todd, you, you said it well, Aaron Sorkin is a genius and he'll be the first to tell you that. Um, and yeah. so, uh, having some, I think he, he's benefited by someone else taking his work, but, uh, I don't think it was necessarily distracting. I thought the, uh, the cast was amazing. I thought, um, you said Sasha Baron Cohen was distracting. I thought he was perfect in that role. Uh, no, you know, if, if you know just a little bit about the actual the actual person, I thought he, it was a perfect perfect fit there. Um, and I, I mean, you said that the courtroom scenes were were kind of hard to hard to stand, but the thing is, much of what he did in the courtroom was based on the actual transcripts of what happened in that court case. So uh, if if you think the the courtroom scenes are ridiculous and annoying, that's because the court the actual court case was ridiculous and annoying and much of what was done in that in those scenes was what was actually done in that in that like, like when it says at the end that the Mark Rylands character actually got 26 different cases of contempt of court from this from this one trial I mean it shows just how ridiculous the trial actually was and um I think it is very important for the time that we're currently in uh, I think it it definitely uh, speaks to the times that we're in, and um, I, I think I, I, you say it, it, he thinks it's more important than it actually is. I think it, I I think he could have bludgeoned you a little more with it. Like it's not like it's a Spike Lee movie. Um, he he tells the story and lets you realize the connections, and I thought that was that was really good. Now I I this is one of the first movies that I've seen this year that's like this is this is a great movie, and um and yeah so I it, four stars. I, I absolutely loved it. Well, that's not shocking. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, t- t- Todd and I shared a text thread about um, how we thought you'd react to this movie, Terry. Um, well, I mean, I, I, get, I guess it's, it's right up my alley, so... Yeah, can I guess your favorite scenes in the movie? They, they had to be when the character quirks really came out. Like, when, when, when the John Carroll Lynch character talks about how he's a, a Boy Scout and... Uh, when when like when they have those little exchanges like in either their jury sequestering or or excuse me in their their little, little room or like their headquarters, those those are classic ter- Terry scenes. 
And I mean that yeah, with those all, are pretty all, good. all due respect to, to you. Those are pretty good. I would say my, my favorite scenes, though, my favorite scenes were the scenes with Michael Keaton. I think he was the breath of fresh air in that movie. For sure. Yeah, is that like a five-minute Oscar nomination? Because, I, I mean... He frustrated that. In the movie. Okay, so who gets Oscar nominations? Let, let's, let's get to the real, real question, right? Like, uh, yeah. This is getting several Oscar nominations. This is classic, like, boomer Oscar love right here. Yeah, it's going to randomly get nominated for, like, costumes, for sure. <laughs> Like, like that's that's what happens with these series. But no, I mean, there's probably there's probably at least two supporting actor nominations. I don't think there's a lead. So I I think Mark Rylance and Eddie Redmayne are probably getting nominated, which will be atrocious. But that's I could see the studio pushing Sasha Baron Cohen as the lead, even though yeah, he's not I, the lead in the movie. But I don't I don't think there is a lead. I think if anyone's a lead, it'd be like Eddie Redmayne. I think, and, they, but I don't think he gets nominated. No, I'm gonna say nominated. I'm gonna say Rylance and Sasha Baron Cohen get nominated for supporting. I think if they consider someone to lead, it'd be probably be Joseph Gordon-Levitt, just because he's the one that starts the movie. And I, I don't know. I mean, but everyone has similar size parts. I mean, it's the same. It's a lot like Crash in that way. Like, I mean, you could just say Don Cheadle was the lead in that movie, probably, but I mean, it's not. I think Yaya Abdul-Mateen and Mark Rylance get nominations, and I would say this movie gets a shit ton of nominations before it gets some backlash for its treatment of the Bobby Seale character, which prevents it from actually winning Best Picture. See, now, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't necessarily agree with that because it's not at all about the Black Panthers, and he, like, like Todd was saying, his whole role there was just, just be like, why am I here? Because he did not belong in that trial, he had no business being there, and so he served the purpose that he was there for, and then, and then, was gone. Yeah, but I think he's a more compelling character than, for example, Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Mark Rylance. And I wish that I wish that Aaron Sorkin had had decided to ma- evolve his character, particularly in the second half of the movie, because after he's kind of bound and gagged on the stand there, um, he disappears from the movie, which I think is it, just sort that's of... That's because it's about the trial, and he was no yeah. longer in the trial. Yeah, I get that. I, I was guess thinking, that, but... it, that's why I feel like it, it, like, it is sort of like a happy accident that, that it came out this year, because you can, can see a lot of parallels, but if he had followed around Bobby Seale more, then, you, I mean, it, it would have been more even more on the nose, but, I mean, he had already completed the movie before that, and so, I, I don't know, it... It, it, it makes it suspicious how, how it's being marketed in that way, I, I guess. Well, in this movie, they've been trying to make this movie for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went back and, I, well, I haven't yet, but I'm, I plan on in the next week watching, I have on DVD Chicago 10, which is kind of the, the documentary archival footage and then animated reenactments of the, the actual court case and everything. Um, and I remember as soon as that came out, they were trying to make the movie of it, and like originally this was supposed to be a Spielberg project. Um, he was about to talk to Heath Ledger about playing Tom Hayden, but I, I read Heath Ledger died a day before he was going to meet with Spielberg about doing this. And Will Smith was supposed to play Bobby Seale. Um, so that was like where this started. Will Smith was at an age that he could play Bobby Seale. That's when this movie was first being talked about. And now here we are in 2020 with it being made as it is. I really like what you said, Todd, about like other directors because I, I agree. I think this this would be a better movie if like Catherine Bigelow took it over. Um, yeah. I can't help but I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen or heard of this movie. Have you ever heard of the movie Insignificance, the Nick Rogue movie from like the mid '80s, which is like it's just it's it's like a stage bound movie that it, it ha- has like Albert Einstein, Joe DiMaggio, 
um, Joe McCarthy and Marilyn Monroe in it. And I kept on thinking about this movie as I was watching the Chicago Seven, which was in the sense that I feel like Sorkin just wanted to throw in these re- these well-known historical figures and kind of see what kind of shit happened when they interacted with each other, which I think belies sort of the purpose of the movie, which is to show um, th- this government overreach, which is obviously a huge issue and issues about protests. And I feel like Sorkin gets kind of bogged down in just his interest in seeing these characters interact, which is funny, but again, kind of um, goes, it's sort of counterintuitive to the, to the function, the purpose of the movie or the emotional pull of it. Yeah, I think Bigelow was a good call because um, I mean, when as soon as you said that, I was thinking, oh, this could have been like the courtroom part of Detroit, right? Which I I, I think is a really underrated Bigelow movie. But um, I, I if you add the grittiness of that, this could have been this could have been like even more amazing. But like I said, I don't think it takes away that much from it because, as Todd was saying, Sorkin's dialogue is just that good. Can I also ask you one more question, Terry? Uh, watching yeah. this movie, I knew you were going to give it four stars. So, and then I kept thinking, why did he hate the post so much? Like, this movie is not that far removed from the post. I I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I. Uh, I mean, it's somewhere between to go the back post and, and Spotlight, and, and I don't know. I'd have to go back and revisit the post, but I I just thought the post was just so over glossy and and hollywoodized that of a and this movie wasn't <laughs> no i i didn't i didn't think it and and maybe it was maybe it was the difference that that how sorkin can just make a topic like this so damn entertaining and um and the post just was no it it, it didn't have it didn't have the snappy dialogue it had the actors trying to show you that they're great actors instead of you know actually doing great performances which i think this film is full of the the worst performance thing in the film is eddie redmayne i don't i don't necessarily i saw someone post on twitter um has eddie redmayne ever stood up straight in a movie Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a great call yeah i know (laughs) but uh but um no i i i think they're they're very different and and maybe it's it's just the the sorkin factor that that he adds that much that much to it i mean it's kind of like it's kind of like when we were like how how is there going to be a facebook movie and then sorkin does it and it's like oh that that's how that's how there's a facebook movie and is there so, a thing about like filming abby hoffman from behind because like isn't that what they do they do that in forrest gump like you hardly ever see his face it's always like from behind so you could see the american flag but they kept doing that in this movie too i thought it was weird that's a good call. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> uh, all right. Can this film can this film win Best Picture? No. I think it can. I mean, Spotlight won, and I I think yeah, that's they're they're fairly comparable. But I mean, it would need to be the perfect uh, storm, and I twenty twenty is completely destroyed all the other big contenders so i mean it's very possible that it could win but it is netflix so i mean if one of the netflix movies is going to win it's probably gonna be this one i well i mean that that's kind of a big a big say too i mean saying that mank is coming out i mean mm-hmm. you you have this film and you have mank i think those are kind of the two you could say are the two front runners and you have the academy loves to award movies that are about itself and it loves to award movies that are that have a message. But they don't I mean, love streaming. I, 
True, but that's all we have right now. News of I the mean, world it, is still my is still my prediction. It news my of the world. News of the world. <laughs> Two years. There in was a, row. a trailer for that that came out recently, but uh, no, I, I I think it can. I I think you you could look at this and say, you know, a lot of people looked at what they did with uh, by awarding Green Book and saying that was their you know their statement on on racism and things like that. This is this is definitely a step up from that in tone and in what it what it's saying and in message and how it states it. And I think the Academy might be willing to go that next step, um, especially considering what's going on. I would say no, because there's too many self-righteous white guys who talk in this movie. And um, I don't know if that, if, if that really works at the Oscars anymore. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You could also say it's coming out way too early. I mean, we have to wait till April still for the Academy Awards. So I mean, we'll it's October. And Cohen movie coming out really yeah we soon. have another sash baron cohen movie <laughs> still to go so i mean it, it's it's october but the 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 period ends like at the end of february now so this is like saying it's an august release uh, if you think about when the period when the the you know nominating period ends and when uh, the oscars actually happen so it's got a long ways to go we're still what six months out from the oscars so who knows what's going to happen in those six months but um I think I think this is probably our first very heavy contender that we've seen, or one of the biggest so far. So uh, it's easy to find on Netflix. Uh, definitely check it out. Maybe read up a little bit on the on the actual history of it too. It can help you out, give give you some context. But I think that's one of the things I love about Sorkin is he he establishes the context very well too. Okay. Well, we're going to go from a movie set in 1968-1969 to a movie set in 1971, talking about some very similar themes in some ways, and looking at uh, the activism and um, social justice happening during the late 60s, early 70s, uh, but in a very, very different way. Uh, this, this is social activism uh, brought to you by 2000 Disney. And uh, that is, uh, remember the Titans. Get up! We're still weak on the left side. We're not weak on the left side. It's not the problem. What is the problem? I don't need you up on my face all the time. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. I want you to tell me something about one of your teammates. I'm rooming with Blue, sir. He wears those leopard-spotted underwears, bikini style, sir. Okay, maybe somebody who's not your woman. 20th anniversary of Remember the Titans is, uh is this uh is this here and it is a childhood favorite of all of ours so we decided we were going to deep dive this and we always start with trivia and uh usually one of us picks uh or one of us uh it comes up with the questions and quizzes the other two but we decided on this one all three of us know this movie so well that we couldn't pick one person to be left out of trivia so we're all going to talk uh trivia we're all going to have questions and we're just going to quiz everybody else so we want to go like one how, how are we going to do this like one question at a time or do we want to go with all of our questions i've got i've got five questions i know todd's got like 15 i have 10 10 questions 10 okay how many do you have zach uh eight or nine eight or nine okay so so well, uh how but all my questions what? are in the same category so can I just ask my questions first? Go for it. Okay. Go for it. We'll, we'll, we'll start it this way. So my, I have eight players, and I just want you to tell me their numbers. Okay. 
Okay, okay. Okay, we're going to start with... Um, so the first person who says it, I'll, I'll give the point to. How about that? Real, real technical here. Okay, yeah. we're going to start with uh, Gary Bertier. 48. Todd? 40, That's not correct. 40, uh, 45. 42. No, no. 40, 42 is the right answer. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. P, uh, Petey. 40. 40 is, cor- 40 is correct. Okay, 40. He's 40. Looks like Gail Sayers back there. Um, blue. <laughs> Six. Blue is 75. Five. What did you say, Todd? 65. 76. I said 75. 76. Ah! Uh, Julius. 81. 81. I heard Todd first. Oh, I heard it said the exact same time, which probably means Todd said it first. <laughs> uh, we got Rev. 10. 10 is correct. Yeah, it sounds right. Louis. 74. Neither of you get the point. It's 73. 72. 73. Ah! Um, it had to be in the 70s, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, don't know. I, I love how this oh. movie, like, like when Julius wears 81, it's awesome, because I was watching this college football game last weekend, and there was, like, a 350-plus pound uh, defensive lineman who got a pick six, and he was wearing number 23 as he was scampering in the end zone. I just laughed. Like, I, I, I love watching, like, 81 on the defensive line. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, I, I was going to say, uh, Sunshine. 12. Yeah, he's 12. And then the last so, one. I don't know. Well... The last one is the Ryan Gosling character, who I can't remember his name. Alan. Alan. Alan, Alan Bosley. Tw- tw- He's 48. 20, 28. Yeah, t- Terry's right. 48. How do you know all their numbers? <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm a number guy. That's I don't know. I mean, I know Forrest Gump were 44, but I mean, that... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I would have gotten that. <laughs> well, that was one of the questions on that deep dive. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. All right, uh, how about I'll go next? I'll go next. Okay. Uh, so I've got five questions, kind of traditional type stuff here. All right. So according to Cheryl Yost, high school football in Virginia is bigger than what? Uh, Christmas Day. That's the that's the correct answer right there. All right. Um. What two schools integrated into T.C. Williams? Hammond. Hammond was the white school. Uh, no clue what the black school was. It's, uh, wait, George Washington? I'm assuming so. They only ever refer to it as GW, so I'm assuming that's George Washington, so I'm going to give you the point. But that's where, that's where Allen played. Or no. No, that's where Petey played. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Two-year starter Which, at GW. Yeah, yeah. and, and the, the, this this goes into a, a potential like flaw or conspiracy theory or something that we'll talk about later. That, that might be our um, longest our longest category. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, what state did Herman Boone come North to North Carolina uh, from? Uh, okay, I heard Todd first. All right, uh, <laughs> this one, there are five answers to this one. All right, so Herman Boone says he is just a football coach. And not oh, what Dr. Five King, things. the Easter Bunny, uh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, role mo- No, uh, answer your prayers. How many is that? Four. That's four. Um. Yeah, I don't even remember that scene. 
I'm not a answer your prayers. Jesus Christ. I don't know. I There's one that? in between those two is Savior. It's not answer your prayers, ah. a savior, Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King, so or Easter Bunny. I'm just a football coach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, and my last question, how long was the winning play of the state championship? 75 yards. Good, yeah. good job, yeah, Zach. There you go. Yep. Yeah. All right, that's all I got. All right. Uh, my questions, uh, where was Louis' family based before he moves? Bayonne, New Jersey. That's right. Wow. <laughs> Naval family just moved here from Bayonne. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Okay. Our five answers. What does Boone say they're going to change while they are doing up downs? Change the way we block. Change the way we tackle. Change the way we think. Change the way we win. Change the way we. Uh... That three of those are correct. Three of them? Oh man. Change the way we. Which three? <laughs> block. Uh, tackle and win. It was not think. Uh, it, it, change the way we run. Change the way we eat. Oh. Change the way we block. Change the way we tackle. Oh, yeah, change the way we win. Yeah, so that's right. I, I thought because as soon as he said change the way we eat, I thought Chip Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do not change the way they eat, given given the fact that when the restaurant that gives out free meals to the Titans um, has to suddenly recant that, <laughs> there was no changing of eating. Uh, okay, what three things is water for? Water is for is oh 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 it's uh water is for Zach, come on. <laughs> I don't know. What? what? I, don't, I don't remember that scene. What water is for you need a water say, break? Wa- wa- water's for sissies. Water's for washing not, blood off that uniform. That's, one that's of those, it. That, that one's correct. Um water's for the weak? Yeah. Is that now, what he says? Sort it now. Okay. Water is for cowards. Water makes you weak. Water is for That's wiping it. blood on my, off that uniform. You don't get blood on my uniform, boy. Boy, you must be outside your mind. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, what city was Colonel Bass stationed before? Huntington Beach, California. That's Dang correct. it. I had that too. Who does Boone get to analyze film for him? The math teacher, Mr. Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> I have a conspiracy theory about Mr. Vernon. Very important character. We can be very competitive with What this. kind of car does Gary drive? Um, oh. uh, you should see my Camaro. That's correct. Is that why you got a Camaro, Todd? Because Gary Bertier drove one? No. <laughs> Although I could, I could claim that. What stadium is the championship game in? Oh. Roanoke? Is it somewhere in Roanoke? Roanoke Stadium. That's correct. Wow. I did not have that. What is Sunshine's snap count, color, and number? Red 40? Zach? I, that sounds right to me. I don't red know. Red 57. <laughs> red 57! Hot, hot, hot. Uh, the California boy sounds incredibly hick when he calls out that, by the way. <laughs> uh, what is the final play call? Oh, oh, oh. Um, fake 53 blast with a backside George reverse. Like, your life depended on it. Fake 23 blast. Oh, I knew I was close. <laughs> okay, my final question. Who does Boone say is going to play both ways in the final game? What, the four of them. 
Sunshine. Oh, I, okay. I see, where, I see what you're saying. Um, uh, Petey? Petey is not correct. No, because no, he's taking guys off the offense to play on the defense. That is not correct. <laughs> no? Dang it. He doesn't say Julius. No, it isn't. Yeah, no, that, that's correct that he does not say Julius. He, he does not say Bertier either. As, well, as he's that, in that the is hospital. Correct. Uh, okay. Sunshine, he doesn't say Alan. Obviously, Alan, he doesn't say Alan. He does he say, say Alan? Alan. Sunshine, what? Alan, Glasgow, and Davis. Which, okay, yeah. Flaw. Oh, they, okay, they, Alan. He must be one of the no-name guys. No, Alan, uh, Alan gets benched, or he gives up his spot on defense in the championship game. And then uh, Coach Boone is saying, you're going to play both ways. So now is he going to get his spot back on defense and he's going to play offense, which he doesn't play? I I don't understand that at all. Every time but I then, watch that, But like, then what? he gives the spot to Petey, so Petey played both ways the rest of the game. No, he gave the spot to Petey before the game. He It wasn't until halftime that he gives No, it. he gave it to him at halftime. No, he gives it to him before the game. He says, I'm no. not going <laughs> to. No. This is riveting Whatever. radio. Like well, Alan was already was already all dirty and everything, and it was after he said he was gonna play both ways, and he goes to Yost and says, "Petey's better. Put him in." So why is he playing offense? It makes no sense. I don't know. <laughs> that was an amazing debate. Five-time player of the week, Yost. Kid's a player. Yeah, That's how why. is he a five-time player of the week? He's a he's a liability <laughs> on defense. <laughs> Like twenty four completely destroys him, and I, what what is his position anyway? Like, Petey Strong goes safety. into linebacker in order to cover a wide receiver, and so Allen was a linebacker. Like, no, make any sense. no, he's a strong safety. He had to be. So, that, wh- no so, other, wh- so why does he, no other white guy game? could look like that and play on defense? That's the only but, position he could play. So, but why does Petey go in and he says he says I want you to play linebacker for me, and then he want I want you to cover twenty three or twenty four. So why this is making it's twenty three. It was twenty three. I, I think I think his position was cover twenty three. I think that's, that was his position. But he said play linebacker. So <laughs> and, and they know. also say Julius is a strong side linebacker, but he's a defensive end. I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I I've never understood this. Uh, all right. Was that all your questions? Yeah, that was the, that was the last one. All right. So Zach, tell tell us your experience with Remember the Titans. So one question that I'm just going to give myself a point for is why did I choose this movie? Because I'm not the one who loves it the most on this podcast. Clearly, I've never heard anyone debate, you know, uh, the merits of what position um, the Ryan Gosling character played or did not play. That that was a, that was amazing. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Um, yeah, now I'm kind of I'm I'm wondering if we should have done this or not. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, remember the Titans? Yeah, not not a movie I loved. Um, <clears throat> I always made fun of it. I thought it was really cheesy. Saw it in the movie theater, um, just completely you know made fun of it. But the reason I wanted to choose it was for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm really tired of saying movies that talking about movies that have aged poorly. And I, with all due respect to Todd, they've always been Todd picks. I'm sorry, it's just that way. But like Raging Bull. Um, leaving Las Vegas, they just didn't work as well for me. So I wanted a movie that I thought would age well. And on a whole, I do feel like this movie ages pretty well. I think it's actually a movie that even after 20 years, you can still watch and enjoy it. And I will have to say that um, I I like the movie more than I did um, even uh, 20 years ago. But I clearly do not love the movie with the same passion that either of you love. Well, well, yeah, that that's that's clear. 
Todd, tell us about Remember the Titans and your experience. Uh, well, I I don't know. This is probably the number two most seen movie in my life after Gone in 60 Seconds. And it's probably... Both 2000 films. Yeah. And it's Sorry, because... Sorry, Will Patton. Uh, Terry, Terry Senior, <laughs> this is his favorite movie of all time, and that is not wow. debatable. He watches this probably at least once a month, and he has ever since he first saw it in, like, 2001. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I've always thought, I'm similar to Zach, I always thought it was really corny, but it's always really watchable because, I mean, it's got cool football scenes and it's really sort of rousing and exciting throughout the, throughout the movie. And it's got, on the whole, pretty decent performances. And I don't know. It, I mean, I hadn't watched it in quite a while, actually. I think I wrote a review for it on the website, like maybe like five years ago. That was definitely the last time I saw any part of the movie. And so it was interesting to revisit it for this. <laughs> Yeah, it it I, it was kind of similar to me. I hadn't watched it in a while, and I mean, this movie is just a whole lot of fun. It, it's just fun, and at the same time, it's fun yet still has a message. You know, like like it still is saying something. Uh, you can still learn something from this movie, uh, but it, but overall, it's just a lot of fun. And I think that that comes with the fact that yes, it is a Disney movie. It's one of the Disney, you know, based on a true story sports films. Um, but I think adding in the, the aspect of the, in, of the, the racial part of it and the, the racial tension of, of that, uh, I think it, I, I was reading somewhere that said that this movie, the original script for it had a lot of profanity in it. And when Disney picked it up, they took it all out. And honestly, I think it works still because it makes it, a an approachable movie for really, anybody to be able to watch understand what was going on in the early 70s when when schools were integrating like this and still have an entertaining time watching the movie so uh, i i think it's a i think it's a great film yeah the only the only curse word in the movie is john brown which i think is odd <laughs> well and uh and uh will Patton near the end says that uh that uh john what what's his name some the coach is kicking my ass that's the only other yeah. if you yeah ed henry ed henry that's his name yep okay so uh we put out on on twitter uh asking you guys uh what you all thought of remember the titans and if you had anything you wanted to share and we would read it on the podcast so i have a couple things here uh that people sent in that i'm going to read here so uh uh let's hear arcanize at ArcanizeYT on Twitter said, It is my favorite non-boxing or MMA sports movie. I know it's cheesy, but I love it so much. So I think we're all kind of on that page. Mm. Uh, Thomas Weems says, One of my favorite movies when I was younger and in high school. Great story, well executed, and Denzel was at the height of his game. So there you go. So I, th- I think everyone kind of feels the same about Remember the Titans. Yeah, it might be a little cheesy at times. But it's just entertaining, and it's just it's just good, and uh, and one of the things I was thinking as I was watching this is it felt like like this could be this is like a great like introductory class into some of the civil rights issues of the sixties and seventies, and then and then I was thinking it's really interesting we're talking about at the same time as Trial of Chicago Seven because it's like all right after you watch Remember the Titans as your introduction, then you can watch something like Trial of Chicago Seven to see the next layer. And then build build on it from there, and like these two films could help kind of shape 
kind of understanding what the 60s and 70s were all about when it came to civil rights and civil unrest and stuff. Is that you say? Would you say say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, it's not bad. No, no. <laughs> but 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 I mean, we'll we'll talk about that in the podcast. But on a whole, I do feel like this movie handles issues of civil rights and prejudice and discrimination better than a lot of movies in this same era, especially movies that may have won Best Picture around five years after this movie came out. So I I do have to give the movie props in that respect. All right. Well, uh, we've. Let, let's let's get to that later then, because you said we're going to talk about it, and let's go to some of the other stuff we're going to talk about. So, uh, let's hear Mount Rushmore first. Let's do Mount Rushmore yes. first. So, uh, with Remember the Titans, I, I think with this category, we have now like counted down or done Mount Rushmores of like everything related to football on on film. Um, but uh, this is uh, a Mount Rushmore of fictional football players. And these players obviously don't qualify <laughs> because they're not fictional. <laughs> which no, yeah, these are not these these are not <laughs> fictional football players. I, I don't know. I think I think Alan was just a figment of our imagination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so Mount Rushmore fictional football players. Uh, Zach, why don't you go first? Uh, for me, this was an easy call. Already been mentioned, someone who um, redefined football in the 1960s, won the Heisman Trophy, uh, changed the way that we think about uh, special teams players, and that is Forrest Gump. I mean, from the very first time he was recruited by Paul Bear Bryant, um, and you know, from those chants on the field, um, you had to think that Forrest Gump uh, possessed a, a skill, particularly with speed, that has been unmatched in the history of cinematic portrayals of football players. So for, for me, it's an easy call. Um, the real question, the only question that really remains was, was Forrest Gump better at football or was he better at uh, table tennis? And uh, we don't really know. Okay, one, he didn't win the Heisman Trophy. He was an All-American. Oh, okay, excuse me. I, Congratulations. I, How's it feel to be an All-American? I gotta pay. Okay, Todd, you're next. Uh, well, when, we, when uh, fictional football players came up, the first thing I thought of was playmakers. So I went, I'm went. i going to choose Demetrius Harris, uh, DH, played by Omar Gooding in, uh, in, the, in that show, which is an awesome... ESPN show that only lasted one season, unfortunately. I, I, when you say most talented, I honestly was thinking Luther Hawkins because that pretty much paved the way for Michael Vick to take over the NFL. Luther but, Hawkins was on my list, by the way. <laughs> Demetrius Harris <laughs> is uh, is awesome, even though he has uh, you know uh, you know drug and uh, steroid problems, a, a lot like most of that team actually. But I don't know. Basically, I just want to say watch that show because it was an amazing show. Yeah, it it was it was like the best thing that ESPN did in like when it was trying to do like scripted things and the only reason it lasted one season is because the NFL got really mad at how realistic of a depiction and how negative the depiction they had of uh of the of professional football was and so they they kind of forced it off the air. But yeah, it was an amazing show. And yeah, DH was a great player, but yeah, Luther Hawkins, I I, I was thinking him, but I'm not gonna pick him now because Our Gerwitz, we can't have two playmakers. Gerwitz or Olchek or yeah, who's that? Wasn't it Leon Taylor? Is Leon that it? The, Taylor, the washed yeah. up, washed up running back? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a great show. You never saw it, Zach, but you need I, to watch that one. Listen, these last five minutes, I don't know what's going on. I've just been... <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I got to pick somebody now. Well, you did... I, I have five guys written down. You did eliminate two of them because I can't... Yeah, I can't pick Luther Hawkins after you pick DH, so... Just, you know you want to say Quantrill Bishop. Just do it. He has to be on this list. <laughs> Should he be like the non-negotiable that we all agree on is Quantrill if Bishop? You, yeah, if you don't pick him, I think he has to be. I wasn't going to, so let, let's just go with that. Okay, all right. so Terry, just do Bobby Boucher. I was going to say, it's either Bobby Boucher or Rod Tidwell. Um, but we can't have both two Goodings on the list. Like that. Like the brothers <laughs> on the list, that'd be weird. So <laughs> I'm going to go Bobby Boucher. And uh, because the other one on my list is Paul Crew from The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler, so that that, that makes Adam Sandler representative. Bobby Boucher. I mean, although Maggot was a better player, arguably than <laughs> than Paul Crew in Longest Yard. Th- this is true. This is true. Wasn't that Nelly? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I'm going Bobby Boucher. He he's I he's mean, another he's, All American. He he was he was he loves football and he loves his mama, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Zach doesn't watch and, uh, football movies from return. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's it's just great. It's good. All right. So we've got. <laughs> the, this is the stupidest list. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got Forrest Gump. We've got. Is it Demetrius Harris? I always just call him yeah. DH. I forget. Yeah, Demetrius DH. Harris. Yeah, Demetrius. Um, Bobby Boucher and Quantrell Bishop from Big Fan, who we've talked about many times on this podcast. Um, <laughs> that's our that's our non-negotiable there. Oh man. I mean, we you could form a, a four-person football team with that. We got a quarterback. We got a special teams player. We got a receiver. And a linebacker. And a linebacker. There we go. Well, no, we got two line. I mean, Bobby Boucher and Quantrell Bishop both play defense, don't they? Yeah. I thought Quant wasn't Quantel Bishop a receiver? He's a DN. Oh okay. He's he was like a yeah, he's like He's an edge rusher or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going I was going to say um Patrick Wilson in Little Children as Brad, but he only plays <laughs> adults um over forty uh football, so like if if that's a separate category maybe, but uh... I was contemplating him. I, I, I was also thinking the uh, garbage pit, or field goal kicking garbage picking Philadelphia phenomenon. We do need oh, a kicker. Yeah. We do need a kicker. Yeah. We should just come up with our own fictional lineup. <laughs> that would have been better. <laughs> better than this weird Mount Rushmore for sure. Okay. Well, let's get into like like this kind of weird ideal lineup because we're recasting this movie. But I mean, this movie is filled with people that are. I mean, there's no way we're recasting this movie because you know that this movie would be recast with a bunch of people who've never heard of it before. So or, yeah, instead, you would you would just gone back to Gotham, which is your go-to for anybody under like 25. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, so what we're doing instead is we are doing uh, we're recasting the players as like real life football players, and uh, and we're gonna go with that. So. Um, now, now, Todd, you said you did have uh, some picks for for Coach Boone and Coach Yost, right? Yeah. So, so why don't you go with those first? Because I, I don't, I don't have anybody. Do you have any actors for those, Zach? Yes, I do. Oh, you do. Yeah. 
coming. Oh, then I'm the weird one out. All right. Go ahead, Todd, and I'll uh, try and think of somebody. Well, for Coach Boone, uh, I went with a guy who is good at playing uh, real-life characters, and it would be interesting to see him play a football coach. It's Chiwetel Ejiofor. I, I think it, it, it could have been, he could do that in his sleep. And for Coach Bill Yost, I went with Peter Sarsgaard. Maybe he's too big of a name for that part, but I think that part actually is a pretty juicy role, and Peter Sarsgaard would be, like, legit, like, supporting actor contender if he, if he had... If he would have a role like that. All right, all right, Zach, what do you got? So I'm just going to jump into my conspiracy theory right now. Terry, get ready. Um, so the reason I really picked this movie is because I have an idea of who I'd want to recast Coach Boone and Coach Yost as, and. We have an election coming up, and it, it, it's a big deal, particularly in my life, but in everybody's life. And so I can't help but think about this movie in the context of where we are in our society right now. And I think the perfect recasting of this movie would be Coach Boone being played by Barack Obama. Because he has two young daughters, and he's married, and he's been to several different schools. And he is this magnetic, transformative presence um, on the field who uh, everyone just admires. And uh, he is able to unify the team and is a brilliant tactician, a brilliant orator, brilliant speaker. He's in really good shape, too. I think the only flaw is that uh, Denzel does not smoke in the movie like Barack Obama does or says he quit. And then, of course, as the uh, assistant coach, Coach Yost, we have um, a single dad who lives in the mid-Atlantic portion of the United States, and um, he, it is the early 70s, and he's balding slightly, and he is Catholic, um, and he talks about how you taught this city to see the soul of a man. He emphasizes the word soul, and that is our next president, Joseph Robinette Biden, as Coach Yost. That is my recasting. This entire movie is a metaphor for the Obama-Biden bromance. What's funny is, like, I wrote down that I think Coach Boone and Donald Trump have a lot in common. Because, like, he's like, he's like, I'm a winner. I'm going to win. And he's, like, this outsider who won everybody over by his charisma and his successes in, the, in like, other, in, like, a, a different area. And he's like, you know, um, he, he's like, is this even about football anymore or is it just about you? But, I mean, and you could say that about Trump. Like, is this even about politics or America anymore or is it just about you? And, I, like, they, they have a lot in common. <laughs> Wow. wow, that's fascinating that I, we just pulled both of them <laughs> in like that. That was, wow. I, did I, not I, see I, that I literally wrote that down as as one of my like conspiracy <laughs> theories. But that's so oh, interesting stuff. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. So Terry, who do you come up with in in these <laughs> sixty seconds? We, we had a chance to come up with. Um. Well, I I didn't I uh, I have um. So I, I came up with uh, not actors like I, I came up with like real coaches for for it. So I've got I've got Coach Boone as Mike Tomlin and Coach Yost as Bill Cower. Well, see, I was thinking something similar too, except instead of Bill Cower, I would have said Dick LeBeau because he's the defensive oh, coordinator okay. and he's old and white. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> he's really old. <laughs> <laughs> Dick LeBeau is like eighty. <laughs> I, I like what you guys said. I'll just take one of each of those. <laughs> that's that's another movie quote. Anyways, I don't know what that's from. That's from the Italian Job. That's Edward Norton in the. It's Italian from Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's from one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I get Italian Job. I got you now. 
I saw someone post a picture of a uh, of uh, like a recent picture of Edward Norton talking to uh to Brad Pitt at like an awards dinner, and and it said uh, twenty years later Edward Norton is still talking to himself. Nice. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was really funny. No, I mean that's a, that's a good antidote. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that we're completely off the rails, let let's put together this recasting of the players now. Um, all right. So Zach, you, you said you have like a, like the slam dunk candidate for sunshine. Yes. And I thought it was, uh, well, okay. Going into it, I thought it was obviously Trevor Lawrence because he's got the long hair and he has similar skill set to Trevor Lawrence with the running and he, he is a lefty though. So that kind of changed things a little bit. But as I was watching the movie, I mean, I think he's more like a Steve Young. I mean, he's lefty, he's able to run the ball and he's from California. So I, I maybe I changed my answer mid-stroke. And and I forgot that he cut his hair before he actually played ball. Oh, but also, uh, Ronnie Bass played quarterback at South Carolina, and Trevor Lawrence plays in the state of South Carolina currently. So that makes Ooh. Sense. Yeah, that's a good point. See, I was going to go with... Uh, I, I Just sitting here kind of just talking about it, the, the name that popped in my head was Kenny Stabler. Because he's a lefty, too. He kind of has some mobility... I think he's even number 12. Uh, he had some longer hair. Uh, but at the same time, as I was watching the movie, I watched I watched Remember the Titans last night. I watched Trial of Chicago 7 on Friday. And all I could think about while I was watching Kip Purdue play Sunshine is, man, he looks like Eddie Redmayne. And so, <laughs> obviously, he would be played by Eddie Redmayne now. So he'd be hunched over. Yeah, yeah, saying. yeah. He, he would hide behind <laughs> his line. <laughs> he's way too thin. <laughs> Todd, who's your sunshine? Uh, I went with Tebow because he's a lefty and mm. he, he is a good runner and he on obviously would be the lead blocker on a fake running play <laughs> on a 75-yard last second. I don't know. I mean, he would be that. He would be sunshine in that in that scenario. And I, I don't know that sunshine's really – he's sort of a show-off passer, so I don't know if that fits Tebow perfectly. But Yeah, Tebow would totally upend that nose tackle too. <laughs> <laughs> He would, yeah, and, and he and uh, not, never playing a down for that team. Him coming in like the fourth quarter or whatever, he would take that knee and he would inspire everybody immediately. You know, uh, it's Tebow. All, All right. right, let's go. I'll go ahead. I was just gonna say, I I think their their political and religious affiliations are, are quite a bit different, but other than that, I I I get it. Good, good call. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about it. I think Sunshine might be like the most like stereotypical player on the entire team. Except I for the mean, fact that he's gay. But oh well, is he is he though? Yes, and, clearly. It, it come coming from he comes from California, and with the long hair, does yoga in the middle Listen, of the Terry. This or is tai a, Chi or whatever. Very, very George of the Jungle ish. The, this is a PG-rated Disney movie. They couldn't come out and say it in 2000, but they, they did all but say it throughout the movie. I think clearly he is a gay character. <clears throat> all right, all right. I don't, uh, I don't know. I never, I never thought he was actually gay, but, I mean, hey. Interesting. It, I, it's possible. Okay, uh, let's do the next couple together. Uh, Bertier and Julius. Who are who are the Bertier and Julius? I've got a great combo for Bertier and Julius. Uh, I so you've got the the established like like all American 
and then the the freak talent that comes in to play alongside him. It's J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney. Mm. No, that's not bad. It's good. But Gary that's is definitely a linebacker. Well, depending on what system he's in, Clowney's a linebacker too. And J.J. isn't, but, you know. <laughs> it's depending on... Edge rusher. They're both edge rushers. I... No, I always pictured Gary as like the middle linebacker, but I, uh, maybe he's the weak side linebacker. I don't know. The possessions are all very left side. Well, yeah, left side's weak side. side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they can't both right. be on the strong side. Okay, Todd, who did you have? <laughs> um, for Gary, just by how he plays, I went with Zach Thomas. I mean, I I, I think he kind of resembles him when he plays and julius of course the obvious answer is julius peppers mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i was thinking that too and he plays basketball right. just like julius peppers oh there you go there you go zach who do you got okay well for for gary for gary i i decided to go with a different position i um i went with peyton manning obviously they don't play the same position at all but i just feel like when peyton manning was 17 years old that's probably what he came off as like not so much the racist part but just the kind of like douchey jerk part like he's the captain and he's like i i don't know i mean am i am i totally out of line and then uh i I could see that i could see that and then for julius i went with dwight freeney i can see that too dwight freeney is tiny all right petey (laughs) okay well uh you want me to go Somebody go. I, don't I, I got a good. I got a good one because uh, Petey is a, a linebacker who has trouble with his fumbling, but then he ends up becoming a star. I'm gonna say defensive back because he really doesn't play linebacker, and so obviously I went with Tiki Barber and Rondé Barber. <laughs> yes, that's a great call. <laughs> it seemed obvious to me. I've I've got a good one too. So I've got all right. So I'm I'm looking at the fact like he he was a running back. The running back y'all and then uh kind of like failed out of running back and then became like this amazing linebacker i'm going miles jack because miles jack was going with cody glenn no well no no i'm going miles jack because miles jack is a linebacker in the nfl now but he played running back at ucla and played kind of played both ways it was like when they needed a a little spark they would put him in at running back at ucla and yeah that's not bad Zach, what do you got? I didn't. I didn't really have a, a great one. I thought maybe Deion Sanders because he's able to play both sides of the field, and then I thought um, uh, maybe um, who was the the running back on the Forty ers in the mid nineties? Oh, what was his name? I, it, he just kind of came. Ricky to me. Waters. R- Ricky Waters. Yeah, yeah. But uh, neither of those were great. I like Todd's pick. I go. I go with the Barbers. That's <laughs> that. That's genius. All right. How about how about Louis Elastic, Zach? Um, I went with someone uh, who also has acting chops, um, the one and only Tony Siragusa. Yes. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only real pick. Honestly, uh, like Ethan Suppley's one of the like the youngest like players in the movie, which <laughs> he looks old as shit. But I think he's only twenty five. That's because he's like four hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, that dude is that he he is like. When Ray decides not to block that guy, I'm surprised he still gets around because Ethan Suppley is the entire side of that line. What what <laughs> position do they even play? Like Ray's the tiniest guy on the field. Why is he like the right guard? Like, he I, was I, he was right tackle. 
Right tackle, even worse. So what is? So I know. Louis, Louis is obviously not the center. Like what position? He's the is right he? guard. He was right guard, I think. So why is he calling the plays? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my pick. So he kind of comes out of nowhere and wasn't really expected to be on the team, and uh, you know, just is happy to be there. Yet, yet mauls everybody when he's there. I went with Jair Sweezy. Hmm. Because he nice. kind of came out of nowhere. He was a defensive lineman in college, became an offensive guard. Very Seattle-centric uh, list for Terry so far. <laughs> what what are you Jack, talking about? Miles Jack, Bellevue High School. <laughs> oh, I guess he was Bellevue. I didn't real. I forgot he was from Bellevue. I actually wasn't thinking that when I said it, but okay. Uh, for my Louie, I, I looked up who the heaviest player in NFL history was, and it is Aaron Gibson. He was 410 pounds at the Combine, and... Uh, yeah, he played like like six years in the NFL, so <laughs> that that was as good as I can come up with. Oh, Todd, who was that? Who was that? Uh, that running back for Texas A and M that was like three hundred pounds, like ten, fifteen years ago. Like right. Javorski Lane. <laughs> wow, that <laughs> takes me back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's there. You go. That that's a that's a good pick too. What about pound running back? What about Jared Lorenzen? Maybe he could play. <laughs> the Pillsbury throw boy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. I was going to say, I thought he wasn't alive anymore. He's not. Yeah. Um, okay, that, that's all I had down. So, you, so Todd, give what else you've got. Uh, the only other one I had was for Rev, and I went with Everett Golson, who is the quarterback of the almost, uh, of this, the runner-up for the national championship, <laughs> Notre Dame. Uh, football team because uh, they have a really similar skill set, and they were obviously runner-up for the national championship. Which I don't even know who votes on the high school national championship. They don't have a tournament. I that I don't know. <laughs> Stepping on other. Guys yeah, I wondered game. that too. <laughs> All right, Zach. Um, I had a few others uh, for for my rev. I went with Percy Harvin because he was injured for most of the season, but in the championship <laughs> game he showed up in an end around and did some spectacular Beautiful. things. Beautiful. Uh, I love it. Seattle. I, yeah. Um, I went <laughs> with, uh, for my blue, I went with Michael Strahan because I'm not sure if this actually happened, but the only thing I really remember about blue is his dancing and Michael Strahan had to be on dancing with the stars at some point. Maybe not. I don't know. And then uh, for, for Ryan Gosling, I went with Daniel Sorensen, who's the strong safety for the chiefs because as as a Chiefs fan here in the great state of Kansas, we all know that Daniel Sorensen isn't that good of a football player, but we all like him. So, um, kind of like Ryan Gosling. Not that great of a football player, but hey, he's Ryan Gosling, so we root for him. I, I love that pick. That's an amazing pick. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, now that we're done with that. Uh, oh, who would Nicolas Cage play in this? Well, early Nicolas Cage could have easily played, like, Ray or Allen. He could have played most of the players on the team, honestly. But now, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, he probably is one of probably one of the, the guys on, like, the Hall of Fame board or something. That's what I was thinking, too. Or maybe one of the re- the, the referee or something. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think no. he's legendary Virginia high school coach Ed Henry. That's what I was going to say. He'd play Ed Henry. <laughs> 250 <laughs> wins in 30 years. Or, or the guy that calls Boone a monkey, like that that head coach. He'd be one of the opposing head coaches. Okay, well let, let's let's get into our categories here. Deep dive this a little bit. Highest war performance. 
most irreplaceable actor in here. I'm going to go first. Because um, it's obviously Denzel Washington. At least for me. Obviously Denzel. I mean, what what keeps this from being, you know, one of the other cheesy, corny Disney sports films. Like, what keeps this from being the rookie is that you have Denzel Washington in his prime heading up this movie and he just brings a whole nother level to this that that makes it something different and and uh if he wasn't in this it would be it, it wouldn't be the same movie so uh he is obviously the highest war of the film so that's who i'm going with uh zach what do you got yeah, I mean, it's really hard to argue with that. I guess I, what I would say for my second place would be Ethan Suppley as Louis Elastic because I think that would be really challenging casting to do. I, I'm not in love with the Louis Elastic character that feels very much like a Disney you know, producer add-on in the script and like the third draft or something. But um, I, in terms of if we're talking about war as a category, um, again, I, I can't think of many other actors that could play it except for maybe like Jonah Hill. But plus two hundred pounds. Well, and and he was one of the only other faces in the movie that you recognize because he had already finished his run on Boy Meets World at this point. So you uh, people knew who Ethan he was Suffolk in was. Boys. He was in Boys Meets World. I didn't know that. Yeah, and he had already been in American History X, and I mean he, he was and, and Mallrats. Like he, yeah, he had he had his movies before this, which is what's, and like still what's he doing nowadays? Is he still around? Is he still kicking it? Like, Last time I saw him, yeah, was he's, in the he's like three hundred pounds lighter. That can we have him on on daily notes? Like I feel like this needs to be an interview. <laughs> that would be cool. That'd be cool. I think the only other person that would that would have been seen at this point was uh, Gary Bertier was in Saving Private Ryan. Of course, no, 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 no. James Francis Ryan. Because could that, that is... could that actor play any other roles except for uh, someone in the in the military? I mean, not really. <laughs> Todd, well, who's your highest war? Well, I mean, it actually is Ryan Hurst as Gary Bertier. I always thought he gave the best performance in the movie. Every time I've watched it, I, I think he has so much passion, and he's, like, really good at emotional scenes, but he doesn't overdo it. I think him and Wood Harris are the soul of the movie and the soul of the team, obviously. They're, like, ten years too old to play those, those parts, but their performances are amazing, I feel like. I, I, both of those, like, those are my two favorite performances in the movie. Yeah, can we start the Chris O'Donnell, Chris O'Donnell, Ryan Hurst award for, like, way too old to play that role? <laughs> well, Wood Harris was, like, 32. Like, he had already started The Wire. <laughs> like, when, when, when he was... I mean... Let, let's wrap this up and go be a high schooler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, um... Todd, I'll go back to you now. Worst performance. Oh, it's clearly Ryan Gosling. Like, <laughs> he, I, I mean, one, you never buy him as a football player. And then, like, he's just so bad. Like, he's too fast, Gary. I can't stick with him. It doesn't even fit the, the part. Like, that was, like, uh, like half a quarter into the movie or into, into, the, into, or into that game. And uh, I don't know. He he took himself seriously after this movie, I feel like. But, th but this character is just so bad. And, you know, he... I, I don't think he got along with the rest of the cast. I feel like they're, they're like his character didn't get along with them anyway. Like and because you always see him doing like random shit. But I'm just like why why is Ryan Gosling like goofing off in this movie? It's 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 just I mean I don't know. I think he's terrible. <laughs> Isn't this like the first thing he did after uh, after uh, like Mouseketeers? Like he he was like 
He was like one of the Musketeers with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake and them. And then he got this, I feel like. I mean, and maybe that's how he got the part is because he was in the Disney family already. Anyways. It could be. Uh, Zach, worst performance. I think Ryan Gosling is clearly number one. So um, I'll just go with my number two, which which would be um, Hayden Panettiere, Panettiere as Cheryl. Um, oh come on, maybe man! It's, maybe it's not so much the, the 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 young actress, but more the role. I, I I'm you know the, the, again very much a Disney sort of signifier having this character in the movie. She really doesn't belong in the movie. Um, we'll get into flaws, but I really find her narration problematic. Um, That's is, not is her it narration. That's the older version of her. Well, okay, but like as a framing device, I I don't I don't like that that she narrates the so story. You don't like the character, not the performance. Yeah, I think that's probably it. But I will also say though about the performance, I really don't like when she like tries to add on her like little southern accent at the end of the movie, like when when they go into halftime of the championship game and and I, I can't remember what her line is. You ain't you ain't got nothing against that shotgun offense. It's like Man, really it's you're trying to proud? Yeah, it's like she suddenly turned into Jackie Cooper or something. I don't know. It was it it was annoying. I love when she's like screaming at the refs about what that wasn't a hold. <laughs> I, I feel like that could be an any any like, fan in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I mean, it, it's horrible to say that that the that the nine and a half year old. I'm nine and a half. Thank you very much. That that's the worst performance in the movie. I mean, but Ryan Gosling is the worst performance. Of, this is the second worst performance. Oh, oh, that's second worst performance. Okay, no, I have the worst performance in the movie. The worst performance in the movie. I think this is the name. I honestly don't know. I can't find him really on the cast list, but I think his name is Walker Jones, who is credited as White Kid Number One. Uh, he's the one that starts a fight with Petey uh, after yes. where, where he walks up. You talking don't. to my girl? And his voice is obviously dubbed. That is obviously not him talking, and and uh, and he does a very very bad job at lip syncing it, and it just. It just feels awkward and wrong. Looks like you got you went and got some new friends, Bertier. Um, Looks like you that, went to the zoo and got new friends. That was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Such and, a and horrible it, line. All Jeez. of a sudden, it looks like you're watching you're watching a Japanese, uh, you know, a Japanese dubbed kung fu movie. But uh, yeah, that was that's the worst performance. He does look kind of like a high schooler, though. I will say in in his defense, he is the one guy. Yeah, he's the one kid in this that actually looks like a high schooler. But you you have a a ten second part. Why for a ten second part do you get a kid that you're gonna have to dub his dialogue? I mean, what it, what is that? That he makes looks no like a sense. Grown up version of Cameron Bright. <laughs> Maybe what Cameron Bright looks like now. <laughs> Can we get Cameron uh, Bright and Ethan Suckley on this podcast? Let's get some interviews and, here. And white guy number one. Or and white guy number one. White kid number one. Well, and Wood Harris. What's he doing nowadays? He out there? He's kicking uh, it somewhere. All right. Um, amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller. Minor character of the year award. Or at least the movie. Maybe not the year. Um, Zach, you're first. Oh, I, I uh, oh, geez, I, I didn't really have one. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe I'll go with um, Bertier's mom because they make some jokes about her, 
And um, I, I like that, uh, I mean, she's pretty, she's pretty much clearly a racist lady, but uh, she gradually grows to embrace Julius, and she even accepts the hug from him, and um, yeah, sure, Bertier's mom, I don't know. What's funny I got about that, like, uh, remi- he's like, reminds me of Bertier's mama. Bertie's mama had the shortest hair of any lady in the entire movie, so why would Sunshine <laughs> remind him of Bertie's mama? It's terrible. Because <laughs> he obviously had no idea who Bertie's mama yeah. was at that point. <laughs> that's, <true. laughs> that, that's, that's a mama joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, I'll go next. Um, my favorite minor character is Ryan Gosling. Like no joke, that's what I had written down. <laughs> I mean, well, there's not there's so many minor. good ones, but what? He's not, he's not really that a minor, minor character. He's got a lot of scenes. He's in every okay. scene in this movie. He just he just photo bombs the whole movie. Like he's just always in the background, <laughs> smiling and singing and clapping okay, and but dancing. Here's, here's the thing: the reason the reason he's you notice him is because now you look at it and say, "Oh, that's Ryan Gosling." At the time, you had no idea who he was and had no idea. All right, so I, w- I won't go with that. I'll go with uh, I'll go with somebody else, and I know who I'm going with. I just gotta find find it. Uh, I'm gonna go with um, with uh, Coach Boone's daughter. That's who I'm going with. The the older one that just kind of gives the stink eye to uh, to Yo's daughter the whole time. I just did like, my nails. I just did my nails. Why didn't? Can I just ask? I'm not playing. I'm accessorizing. Why didn't she narrate the movie? Why did it have to be Coach Yost's daughter? Can I just ask that question? Like, I feel like her story would be way more compelling. She's the one that has to deal with the brick getting thrown through the house and having to move to a new place and this, you know, uh, racially um, very you know high tension, anxiety ridden city. And like, I feel like her narration would be so much more interesting than some, you know privileged white girl who like grows up and it happens to like football like i i don't know okay two things one you're complaining about a minute of narration at the beginning and a minute of narration at the end i am true. two two she is the one that actually witnessed it all like she was the, the one that was actually there watching it all where the other girl obviously she didn't was care about football that's true those are, those are fair points i just i you know i don't know <laughs> i do find it interesting that it is the first voice you hear and then the last voice you hear, but outside of those two scenes, you don't hear that voice ever again. Yeah, who the hell is that actress, like, that she got <laughs> to do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right, Todd, who's your, uh... Check him in! I'm Coach Hans, your offensive line coach. Like, he's <laughs> easily my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> you all look like a bunch of bums out here! Like, he's, he's, he's yeah, the best. That's, like, yeah, a good, that's a good 12 point. sounds better. The only other one I was thinking about was, I don't even know what it, I couldn't find it, what his character's name was, but it's like, after Petey freaks out when he's trying to get uh, Sunshine to say that he's gay or whatever, he's like, he's, you know, he's, where he's like, you know, you know what I mean, don't mess with my mind, and, they, and he just like leans over, he's like, looks like the coach has been keeping <laughs> Petey out in the sun too long, bro. Like, I see him, you only see him in one other scene, but I'm just like, man, that guy looks high. Like, he looks like he's having a great time. I want to know more about that character. Yeah, there's maybe, a couple maybe, of players that are having just a just a blast in there that you only the see in like crowd back. scenes. Like, who the hell is the backup running back? Like, Petey gets benched <laughs> in game number two. Like, we never see anyone catching a pitch or getting a handoff the rest of the game. Maybe it was that guy because that was the maybe offensive. Maybe it, it was it was what was it was named Glasgow. What, yeah, maybe what the... Glasgow and Davis. Yeah, well, one of those was the was this, the backup running back. That's what I'm going with. 
Alright. That's good. Yeah, that could be. Then that that'd probably be more even more linebackers that are going to play. <laughs> exactly. Alright, Zach. We already did you already tonight. go? You already did. I, did. Yeah. Then Zach. Then you're next for um, what's next? Biggest douchebag. Uh, the douche Swan Oliphant Award. Swan Micah Oliphant Award. Right. I don't even remember what Micah's from. What's Micah from? <laughs> It, it, it showed up recently. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Dr. Doolittle. <Yeah. Will>. Okay. <laughs> Clearly. All right. All right. Zach, douchebag douchebag award. A lot of douchebags in this movie. You'd have your fair. I would pretty much say any white character, with the exception of, of Louis, um, you could put as a, as a douchebag in this movie. I guess I would single out, though, um, Burgess Jenkins as Ray Buds. Because um, he's he's pretty terrible. Um, he refuses to block, and he puts the black players in harm's way, and uh, just kind of is a, a total douchebag. AKA Dean Martin, right? Isn't isn't he Dean? Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure you said Jerry, like Lewis. That would make you Dean Martin. Yeah. yeah. I see. Like when I saw his name as you know Ray Buds, I'm like, who's that? Oh, Dean. That's right. That makes more sense. <laughs> uh all right i'll go next my uh my biggest douchebag let me see here where's the where's the actor's name i had it and now it's gone uh anyway it's coach tyrell um i I think he's he's just kind of he's just kind of a deplorable human being in so many ways and uh yeah there it is brett rice as coach tyrell like i've seen him in other things i'm like i can't see you in other things you're coach tyrell he, he and, has uh, played a coach in like three other movies. Yeah. He he does have a good look for um I mean he he looks like he should be coaching the SEC somewhere but uh yeah. Uh he he's 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 the biggest douchebag for me. All right, I had six people written down and a lot of them have been mentioned. Uh the obviously white boy number 1, uh you talking to my girl <laughs> yeah. guy. Uh, Ray talking coach, to my girl. Co- co- coach Tyrell, uh, those those are all written down. I also have uh Fred, who's Alan's dad, uh, yep. another just classic douchebag. Douchebag. I think Petey is a real douchebag, especially when he's talking to the the other high school girls. Like, I mean, he, he comes off like com- complete asshole douchebag. Like that that is classic high school douchebag right there. And I also had the restaurant owner that yep. that kicks him out and makes them like go go through the back to the you know you pick it up from the kitchen. You know, I hate that character. He's he's a total douchebag. Yeah. To 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 kind of uh, compliment your point on Petey. I mean, his response to white kid number one is, I don't see any livestock around here, so I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that, that was that was meeting douchebag with douchebag right there. <laughs> what y'all looking at Sunshine for? He's from California. He's Californian. <laughs> All right, uh, Stickman. I'll go. Go. Okay, I went with Herman Boone's father who somehow sired in somewhere in between 8 and 12 children. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I think it would have to be 9, right? Because he had 8 brothers and si- eight older brothers and sisters, so... And he would be the ninth. Yep. Yeah, eight, uh, 12 sounds better. Um, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I went with Ray because he's Jerry Lewis, and he sings the songs against the girls. Oh, yeah. That Oh, that's... That's a good call. In that's theory. Call. 
It's more hypothetical. <laughs> we we never really see that, but yeah, okay. but well, he is also in a car with a couple like pretty decently hot hot chicks at one point, trying to get Gary to go with them down downtown or whatever. Yeah, another suggestion: Can we start the Karen or the Emma Hoyt Award for biggest Karen in movies? I mean, she was Ooh. originally on my biggest Karen list that she we was. did a few months she ago. She was. We we might be able to. I I think it might be one that we uh, that maybe we bring out special for certain movies. Yeah, because yeah. like, it wouldn't work be with Karen like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Castaway. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. Wilson's a pretty big Karen in that movie. Yeah, well, you got Wilson a point. could be a girl. He's also the douchebag of the year in that movie. And the stick man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. He's got sticks in him. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Literally, stick man. <laughs> uh, okay, my, my stick man. I'll go Petey. I mean, he, he at least is the one that thinks he is. So uh, that, that's got to be worth something. So that, that that's yeah, fine. he was another choice I had, and I also thought <laughs> Sunshine because I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, maybe he is gay, but he uh, he was totally uh, like attracting all the female attention. Yeah, by not trying to at all. That that, that was, that's yeah, that that's what gets it for him. Okay, uh, best scene, best scene in the movie. Zach. Uh. Well, a lot, a lot of good scenes. Um, I'm looking over my list here. I t- took some notes. I think the scene that really stuck out to me this time, because again, I've watched it, you know, probably as many times as you guys. I just don't remember some of the details you guys do. But um, I really did like the scene where um, Coach. It's after the brick. The the white racist throws the brick into Coach Boone's house, and afterwards, uh, Yost comes to Coach Boone and says, "You know, not when it involves my daughter." And then Coach Boone's response, which is perfect, is, "I'm sorry what happened to your girl last night, but maybe it gives you a taste of what it's like in my life." I thought that was a really actually strong scene. Um, that was that was really well done. I think though, previously though, overall, my favorite scene in the movie is when Coach Boone completely shuts down Gary Bertier in front of the bus and calls him out in front of everybody, makes a spectacle of the whole situation, completely cuts him down to size. I love that scene every time I watch it, and it's I such wish... an uncomfortable scene. Well, it's so funny though, like, and it's so I, I it establishes that character so well and immediately dictates their relationship, and um, I think you know Gary Bertie. I'm I'm amazed no one mentioned him as a big douchebag in this movie. I mean, we're supposed to sympathize with him at the end of the movie, but the the first sixty minutes of this movie, Bertier makes a strong uh, run for biggest douchebag, and Herman Boone cuts him down to size, and I, I like watching that scene. But I think I, what what makes him not is that he's the first one to turn around too. Yeah. Like even before Julius, I mean, he he's the one that 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 turn steps around, up. Turn around. Turn around. <laughs> yeah, he he's the one that actually steps up and is like, "Okay, you you know what? You're right. I'm the one that needs to lead this." And he does. So, yeah, yeah. but it's still it's still a fun scene to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I that, don't know. That when somebody scene. slow claps and nobody else even attempts to slow clap, it just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 Not another teen movie and great night in my head probably. <laughs> maybe Aaron Not Sorkin should have taken that advice oh, in the man. last scene of Chicago 7 with a slow clap slow claps do not work they're just yeah. alright Todd what's your favorite scene uh, I have a couple I guess I'll go with the, the regional championship scene because similar to Hoosiers where the sectional championship is the best scene in that whole movie like the regional championship is the best like the, the speech by 
Coach Yost is just, it'll give you chills no matter if you've seen it, you know, a hundred times like I have. And then when Allen gets to go back in the game because Petey walks out and then, uh, you know, Julius like completely like rakes the quarterback and he's like, make yourself comfortable down there, <sighs> real comfortable. Like, I love that. Just like fires me up every time I watch it. Like that, that is it. That is the best football in the movie. It's the best scene. Maybe the second best scene. I don't know. It's one of the two best scenes. But yeah, I, I love I love that. that 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 section is the best. It's the best. Just like I guess I just like Hoosiers. So it's the game before the game is the best is the best part. Yeah, that that Yo's speech is is his shining moment in that movie for sure. And that yeah, yeah that that's it. That's a great pick. Uh, the uh, the. There's so many scenes that I remember well in this, and but the one I I wrote down, um, it's always great when you get it here. I mean, anytime Coach Boone like gives a speech, it's great. But I mean, the after the the run through the forest to the to the Gettysburg graveyard, and uh, and mm. he gives a speech there. It's su- mm-hmm. it's just such a great scene, and you can call Good it cheesy call. if you want to, but it's it's just good. And and it, it's it's Denzel doing Denzel things and and uh, and he he's the perfect one to give the give a talk like that in that moment and and it the cinematography of that scene is great too of the the fog of sunrise on that field and it just it just looks outstanding and then you add on to it Denzel giving giving the speech it's it's just great all right. Flaws. You want to start, Terry? All right. So I've got Go one thing that that I that um that I noticed in this. So I, I mentioned in the trivia. So the the two schools that that integrate are Hammond is the white school and George Washington is the black school. At the same time, Coach Boone says at one point that he coached at GW in North Carolina. So did he coach at another school named George Washington, North Carolina, or did they get mixed up and they tried to name, name say that he was the coach of the black school because he wasn't? He came in specially for this. I don't remember them saying the the name of the school that he coached at. He he was uh it was um when the at the very beginning when he was being told that he was going to be the coach. And, and he he goes he goes this is why I left GW North Carolina because. Because I was getting passed over for by okay. a guy when I had earned it, and and he said he says GW, and then later on Petey says he played at GW, and it's like wait a second, Boone's supposed to be new to town, and he's from North Carolina. I mean, it's possible that like schools in Virginia, North Carolina area have are called George Washington, but I don't know. It's it it it, it was a little fishy to me. All right, you guys have stuff, so go for it. Who's next? Todd, you're next. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll combine all the flaws, conspiracy theories, and whatever. Uh, yeah, do it. So, w- one thing I've always thought about this movie is, like, I- I've tried to research it before, and I've never actually found out. Like, when did taking a knee actually become a thing? Because, like, you know, we were we were uh, down by four with ten seconds left against Jefferson, so we blitzed the safety, safety from the weak side. It's like they could have just taken a knee. Like or they could have taken a knee in the championship game, but instead they run down the run or run down the sideline and force a turnover. Like I, I don't know. I, I've I've never I've never gotten that before. I've never been able to figure it out. Uh, also, I don't know how a player is gonna cut another player. Like if Ray's dad 
was Alan's dad, there would be like a lawsuit, and then it would never go over well. Like, I how I don't know how the hell one player is going to cut another player in high school. And I also think the doctors in Alexandria are pretty awesome because they already know that Rev broke his wrist for sure before he even was off the field and like within hours of gary getting into a car accident they already know that he was never going to walk again like they're like borderline mvps of the movie like i i like that is really quick um (laughs) and uh so on the last play they they bring in a quarterback at wide receiver and then the other coach is like ed henry's like Cover deep pass like he thinks they're going deep like i i question ed henry's actual knowledge of the game because i mean like it's it's a trick run play 75 yard touchdown it's i mean okay if rev is the fastest player on the team then why isn't he a running back anyway if they're willing to put him in with a broken wrist to run then why doesn't he just play running back like why is he on the bench the whole time just like to save for like one trick play but like who who thinks a quarterback going in at a receiver is gonna make a i don't know make a long pass didn't make any sense I, which Boone actually tips his hand earlier when he's like, like uh, Sunshine's like, hey, uh, Rev's going back in, right? And he's like, not a quarterback. It's like, he, he already knows. Like, he's got a broken wrist. He knew that already. And he's already thinking, like, yeah, I'm going to put him back in to, like, do something else. Like, I, he's going to get even more in harm's way than he is, like, just because he can't pass the ball. I also think Ray in this movie is a lot like Ray in Hoosiers. Um, <laughs> yes. Like, the same character. <laughs> Um, I, I also want to know why Boone wants Louis Lastig's test scores. Like, what is exact, what exactly is he going to do with them? It's like, he can't tutor him. He has no time. He doesn't have enough time to do that. And like, how, how is that going to help anything? Like if he's failing, he can't play anyway. So what is he going to do with his test scores? I mean, he can't, what is he going to like go to the teacher and like bribe him or something? That, that, that whole, that whole uh, exchange never made a whole lot of sense to me. And I also think get, him, get, get his grades high enough to get into college, not so he could play. But he needs grades to play too, and he was obviously going to fail. Right, they're two different thresholds. C minus and C plus. <laughs> Probably something like that. I <laughs> well, don't that's know. what they say. Like, <laughs> so he's he's he was it was never a question of whether he was going to be eligible to actually get on the field. It was whether he was going to be eligible to be able to. Um, so but yeah but what is he gonna do for him like if he brings his test scores and he's feeling then what's he gonna do for him he can't tutor him or he i mean i suppose he could but what what is that gonna do to bring him his test scores i I don't know okay well so that's exactly what i thought okay and, and also i think wood harris in the last scene he looks like he's about 50, which is probably closer <laughs> to his actual age than, uh, you know, 18 or 17 or whatever he is in the, in the movie. Uh, and they yeah, didn't they don't have to really put do a whole lot to him. age any of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. he, he, he got a mustache. That was all they did to age him and none of the others anything. All yeah. right. That was the last one I had. I knew that was going to go long. So I, I mentioned a lot of them throughout the podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right, Zach, what do you got? Well, so, I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit about Louis' grades as well. My understanding was that uh, Coach Boone was fraternizing with the math teacher, Mr. Vernon, in exchange in exchange for a playbook on the opposing team, um, Louis' grades would raise. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, that has, you know, oh. the, the, I don't know exactly how that, that worked, but, you know, it, it was a quid pro quo, perhaps. Um <clears throat> So um, I had a few flaws as well. Um, 
I thought that uh, I never understood why Ronnie Bass can't throw a pitch. I mean, d- does that make sense? Like, is that realistic? I I don't know. I'm not a quarterback. I mean, I mean why, why he can, can throw why can, he can throw sixty yards, but he can't throw three feet. I mean, yeah, I, I realize how, how many Southern California quarterbacks have you ever seen run the option or run the veer? <laughs> it's completely different different thing. Well, and and I mean, you have. How about John Lester being able to, you know, be a dominant that's, that's Cy, a good, Cy Young that, caliber? In but he can't throw, throw a pick a- off the first base. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a great comparison. Okay. Um, yeah, it's not bad. So, um, I was going to say, I don't like the... Um, well, okay, I... I think this movie is very much from a white perspective, um, and I was hoping it wouldn't be from a white perspective, but unfortunately it is, and even though it has a black screenwriter, um, I wish the movie had spent more time focusing on the struggle of the black characters as they are forced to relocate to a new school, because we get a lot of scenes with the white characters talking about their struggles and how they're uncomfortable with, with the, the uh, you know, the situation and integration. But um, these black players also played at a school as well. And I don't think the movie treats it in an even handed way in part, because I feel like the, the screenwriter as it uses the, the, the kind of, um, uh, the, the transformation as a device for the white characters and the black characters just kind of experience racism in the movie and are sort of passive. Um, so that was a disappointing part of the movie, but it's, a, it, again, it, it, it's minor compared to other movies that didn't do, that did a terrible job with race relations. Um, I was also going to say Ryan Gosling singing and dancing mo- is, in this movie is better than it is in La La Land. That's not a flaw. It's just more like a point I wanted to make. Um, <laughs> Why did how would Boone ever allow Cheryl to join Coach Yost at camp if he's so serious about camp? Um, I don't know. But, hey, that's I, th- I think Cheryl, I mean, like low key, is probably the most knowledgeable football person in the movie. Um, I was going to talk about the nose guard for Groveton because he's called out by the loudspeaker, and I think this is the first time in the history of football that a nose guard has been called out um, on a loudspeaker like that as their star <laughs> player. And, that's a good call. And, um, yeah, I just, um, I didn't like how Yost coddles everybody, and, um, I mean, that that's realistic, but I, I felt like him benching Petey at the end of the movie was, again, a screenwriting device, um, because Petey was, you know, was the victim of racist, uh, referees, and, um, I think overall, uh, I, I think the biggest flaw in this movie is Jerry Bruckheimer. Oh, maybe that gets into my LVP, uh, although he's not my LVP, but, um, I feel like if this movie had been in a, done in a slightly more gritty, realistic way and less Disney-fied, it actually could have been a great movie and it probably should have been a six-part series on Netflix. Like we could say about every movie we like, but this one especially. So I think one of the things you mentioned with the, with like what it, focuses on and uh and the the integration and how it doesn't really talk about the i i felt like it kind of, and and this may be what happened and but it felt like um what was going on was tc williams was like hammond that they just invited the black students to right is that, that that's kind of the vibe you get right yeah so it kind of feels like the black invasion into the into the white campus. So I, I mean that, yeah, you could have focused a little bit on, you know, upending everything and having to go to a brand new school. But I think you, you also have the, they focus instead on the, the idea of the, you know, there's all these new kids at, at my school and that's why you focus on 
you know, all the white players getting bent out of shape because no, for them, nothing has changed except there's all these other people around. I don't know. I, I yeah. think it works. Well, and I was also going to say, too, that, like, this movie kind of just mentions in passing the whole, like, white shop owner who kills a black teenager at the beginning of the movie. And I realize this movie's not about that. But I think I would feel like that would be on the minds of the black uh, teenagers. I, well, white teenagers, too. I think I feel like that that is an undercurrent in this movie that isn't established. If this movie was made 20 years later, it probably features more prominently in the movie. But it's kind of sideswept under the rug. And maybe because it's a Disney movie. I don't know. But, I mean, that's a, that, that, that was a huge issue that they introduced in the movie but never really capitalized or returned to at, at a different point that certainly set the scene for the for the racial uh, tensions in the movie. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that was the whole point of the scene. It's just, it's just to, like, like, introduce you to, this is what we're looking at, and then we're going to focus on football from there on out. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's move on. LVP, MVP... Uh, I'll go first. My LVP is the uh, the Virginia High School Football Hall of Fame committee. Yeah. Because uh, I mean they, they they we didn't mention them as douchebags, but the, that whole committee is douchebags, and uh, but they're the LVP of trying to derail this entire thing, and uh, so they're my LVP. And then uh, should I go with my MVP now too? I'll just go with MVP too. My MVP is uh, I'm gonna go with. Um, Trevor Rabin, who was the composer for this movie. I love the score for this movie. And that, that's one of the things that's always kind of stuck with me when I watch it, is it's got a really cool score. And uh, not, not to mention just soundtrack in general, but the score that is put over the top of it too, I really like. So, so he's my MVP. Uh, Todd. Uh, my LVP is, of course, Alan, because <laughs> he is a terrible defensive player. <laughs> And he doesn't even try to break up the fight between Gary and Julius. He just, like, walks out and yells, fight! Yeah, and he starts a brawl. And he wasn't even at practice at the beginning of the movie. Then he breaks up the practice to have everyone, like, go participate in that riot. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how he was ever a five-time player of the week. But, I mean, I know. He's just, I don't know. I don't think he's, (laughs) he's... He's the LVP of the team and of the movie. And my MVP, I was thinking Trevor Rabin as well. And like I said, the uh, Alexandria doctors, and I, I was thinking also the Alexandria police department because you know he gives he gives Julius a ride. He didn't have to do that. I mean that character could have been totally uh, stereotypical and like been a super racist guy, but you know he he just says like, hey man, tell your coach it's the best defense I've seen in twenty years. And then and then he and then you know he has the uh, the the taxi with with sirens. You know like I'm I I think that's a really sweet scene. But Trevor Raven was also was my number one answer for this. Nice, nice. All right, Zach, what do you got? All right, so my LVP was James Taylor because when his song comes on is when Bertier crashes his car and it's the terrible moment in the movie. So obviously had to be the LVP. Um, could, it could make a Michael McDonald too, you know? Yeah, well, he's the Michael McDonald Award winner for um, <laughs> LVP, I guess. And then my uh, my um, MVP of the movie was um, the screenwriter Gregory Allen Howard, who also um, I believe uh, was like a he had written the screenplay um, and it had been rejected time and time again. 
um, because people kept on telling him that um, let's make it a football movie instead of a movie about race, but he just sort of um, rejected that and stuck with the screenplay, and I think it's actually a, a, a really good screenplay. I mean, as, as corny as the movie is, as, as many of the flaws as we've talked about, um, I think it has a lot of resonance, and I think it's actually one of the... A movie that I think black and white audiences can can both watch and admire and kind of also mutually make fun of at the same time, which which is you know challenging as a screenwriter to uh, accomplish. <clears throat> His only other credits are Ollie and Harriet. That's that's an interesting uh, interesting filmography. There. Yeah, I I read somewhere that he wrote the Harriet script um, around the same time as Remember the Titans, so way way long time ago, and. Um, when he pitched it to a producer, um, a producer suggested that Julia Roberts play um, Harriet. That that's interesting. <laughs> that can't be true. <laughs> Julia Roberts I, I, is Harriet Tubman. Yes, I sure hope that's not true. <laughs> it, 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 I read it somewhere. It has to be true. <laughs> Zach read it. Has it, to be true. It was online somewhere. On the flip side, Trevor Rabin has done the score for a lot of stuff. Like, he did the score for Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, The One, Todd, The One. By the way, this is the second Will Patton movie from 2000. We also had two Giovanni Rubisi movies from 2000. We all, this is also our second uh, Nicole Ari Parker deep dive. Uh, I don't know. These things are just, like, stacking up in my head. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, let's see here. I'll go first. So uh, I've got I've got two quotes. One's from Remember the Titans, and it's a quote I I I, I mentioned before. I love quoting movies in my uh, in in my classroom. And uh, as a math teacher, I always end up catching myself at least once a year quoting, How many feet are in a mile? How many feet are in a mile? 5,280 feet. Pick up that ball, you run every one of them. You're killing me, Petey. So, so that's, that's one of them. Yeah. The other quote I have is, uh, is Bobby Boucher from The Waterboy. That kind of sums up the, our, just the whole feeling about, about football. Uh, he, he can finally confronts his mom and says, everything's a devil to you, mama. Well, I like school and I like football and I'm going to keep doing them because doing them both because they make me feel good. By the way, mama, alligators are ornery because they're medulla oblongata. And I like Vicky and she likes me back and she showed me your boobies and I like them too. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just eloquent in every way. What? Eloquent. I said it was eloquent. eloquent. Yeah, eloquent. It's very. It's it's very. Yeah. I like football. I mean, that that's all I was thinking. That's what I was watching. I like football. <laughs> all right. Uh, Zach, you're next. Uh, well, I really wanted to go with a quote by Bertier where he says, "Now that's a mama joke." But uh, in all seriousness, um, I'll go with uh, Coach Boone's quote when he walks onto the football field and says, this is my sanctuary right here. All this hatred and turmoil swirling around us, but this is always struggle and survival, victory and and defeat. Just a game, Doc, but I love it. Which is the way I feel about this podcast. You should have had him go last. Sometimes. (laughs) I should have had him go last. (laughs) That's your quote today? 
No, I, I know. Oh. I, I no, his, I that means his is worse. <laughs> oh, okay. I have two. I have two quotes. Uh, one comes from this movie, which is one that I always think in my head. Like it will process through my head whenever I'm watching, like you know, the Seahawks or Nebraska play against a bad team, and I think like if we play like this against Groveton, we're going down. Like I, I always, <laughs> always go through my head. But my final quote will be will come from uh, Between Worlds, the Nicolas Cage movie I watched this week. <laughs> And uh, it is an exchange he has between him and, and Franca Patente. She asks him, do you want a beer? And he says, did the Tin Man have a sheet metal cock? <laughs> and, oh, I'm glad that he went last. <laughs> and that, that is not how I feel about this podcast. <laughs> uh, and with that, we draw this podcast to a close. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode. Uh, make sure uh, you tune in. There's a new episode of Daily Notes up now where he, uh, Adam has another interview for you. Uh, but yeah, we'll catch you next week. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.